Gems of History podcast sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> An audio medium getting sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends. All you hear in the background is just ting, 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 ting. <laughs> you can upgrade your heroes. Look at how sick this one is. Look how you can play as a woman and make her sexy as hell for no reason at all. Raid Shadow Legends. Use code Gems of History for 10% off. Do you think that? Do you think there's actually any gameplay to Raid Shadow Legends, or is it just, it's strictly just an advertisement and microtransactions? Yeah, it's just cutscenes and microtransactions. It's literally pay five bucks to get the mo or get the next set from the cutscene. It's like, so, so you're paying for a movie. <laughs> so I can get you costumes, though, with my money. So I can make my waifu, who's <laughs> <laughs> like a half ogre, half dark elf. and I'm in. Yeah. But who are we, Evan? We are, I always forget that we always hit record early. <laughs> We've been recording for three minutes. But we are the gems. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly about right. But we are the Gems of History podcast, your friendly neighborhood history goofballs that love talking about different stories throughout history that range from the Sinjoku Hide to what we're going to be talking about today, which is the abduction of Travis Walton. Ayo, we're going back to aliens. We are going back to aliens. It's been a while. It has been. Since uh, we've been talking about a lot of death and debauchery of yeah, a, of a, just a slew of women. Somehow we ended up there. But. <laughs> but it's going to be nice to talk about some abductions, maybe some probing. Yes. What's your name? What, what's my name? Yeah. I don't think you introduced either of us yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think people just know by now. That's true if they so, listen. So, I'm your co-host, Evan Roosh, and joined with me, as always, is Jacob Shop. Hey, yo. YouTuber extraordinaire. Now we can talk about the topic. Now we can talk about it a little <laughs> YouTuber bit. YouTuber extraordinaire. I've gotten one short that got 2,000 views. That is, <laughs> but uh, I, considering our subscriber list when you started this was, I think, me. Yeah, I think we had... <laughs> three subscribers when i started doing shorts we're up right. to 40 so hey that's that's not nothing that's literally over 10 times the amount we had so. rogan we coming for that ass yeah, right <laughs> if any of you out there want to intern to be our producer editor video recording person and marketing yeah, and right. guy <laughs> all in one <laughs> for no money yeah we can pay you and you can pet my dog there you go that's all you get. Mm -hmm. Deals out there. She's a really good puppy. It's the meme of the guy that like with the trade offer next to him. He's <laughs> yeah. just like wearing a suit. Yeah, we offer one pet for <laughs> entire content <laughs> creation library. An entire marketing campaign. Wow. <laughs> I think it's fair. But yeah, today we're talking about Travis Walton's alien abduction story. I I'm assuming you've never heard of this. I've never... Like we I always say with your topics, I'm like, huh, how did you find this? <laughs> I was going to wait, like, when I texted you and I said, like, hey, let's do Travis Walton's abduction story this week, or we can do Amityville Horror. I was like, I wonder if he's just going to say Amityville Horror just because he knows that story. But, was leaning. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like we've done ghosts and stuff more recently than we've done aliens. So right. It's going to be good to go back to... A little bit of a wooey woo story. For Go once. back to our roots yeah, and our really, reality. Honestly, 
we I, we started off on a hot streak of just alien high, high strangeness alien and like space heavy conversations even oh. when they weren't original we're not that wasn't warranted the topic. in the, t- the episode at all some might say <laughs> not needed in the episode but huh, like Pickett's charge <laughs> we've gotten to this point somehow and we're, we're back to our roots i'm very excited because this is in my opinion one of the more believable abduction stories that is what i saw when just the research like they have a point like an actual polygraph test was done yeah more than one more than one right yeah, I, I think I listened to close to eight hours of this man speaking in interviews between oh like, God. he, because he went on Coast to Coast AM and then he went back on to Art Bell's other radio show after he retired from Coast to Coast and then he went on Joe Rogan last year. So he's really, so he's been still around like talking about this. So it's, it's really fun. That's true. This happened in 1975. Whenever we do episodes, I always assume that everyone in the story's dead. Yeah, <laughs> like, long, like they've been long gone. Well, usually it's like old people that it happens to, but the oldest person that's related to the actual event is 26. So it's a bunch of young people. I like every time I read this story, I forget that fact that they're all really young guys, com- like considering, right, considering, yeah. So yeah, they're our age. So this is what could happen to us if we get lucky. In year 27, we finally get abducted. <laughs> could you imagine the content? I 100% am down to get abducted for content reasons. Anyone out there? <laughs> if you're listening, can you imagine aliens tuning in? They have access to all the communications in the world and they listen to us. Thank you. They should absolutely. Thank you for listening. Five stars on iTunes. Are you ready? Tell us where you're from. <laughs> you're ready to... Uh, Hear the story of Travis Walton's abduction. I am. All right. In November of 1975, six men drove into the small town of Snowflake, Arizona, and told an extraordinary story. After seeing a UFO, the seventh man on their crew ventured away from the car and approached the craft. But upon getting too close, the man was thrown back and his friends drove away. When they returned, he was gone. He would remain missing for days while everyone else had to try and come to grips with what they had just witnessed. When their friend eventually turned back up, he had a story that was even more out of this world than what they had. That man's name is Travis Walton. I'm looking at his pictures and this man definitely looks like he's been abducted. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's, in all the pictures, he's wearing just a nice flannel. He literally looks like the guy from Office Space that talks like this. Yeah, it, and he kind of is. It's funny, though, because like, I listened to another episode of Joe Rogan because he just had a Navy pilot. His name is Ryan Graves on an mm-hmm. episode this week, and he is one of like the forefront of talking about the newer sightings and stuff. But it's funny because Travis Walton comes on the show wearing like full suit and tie, and this other guy from the Navy is just wearing like a shirt. <laughs> that probably I, su- I, and then Joe Rogan's wearing like a, a muscle tee. <laughs> and the shirt probably says like FBs get M's or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's so funny because he's so proper and like ready to go for all these interviews. But this is a very fun story, so I'm very excited that we're talking about it. On November 5th, 1975, a group of seven men ventured out into the Apache Sitgreaves National Forest to work on a logging contract, and that is located outside of a small town in Arizona known as Snowflake, which is where all these guys are pretty much from, and I believe it's like 30 miles from Phoenix, about. Oh, wow. So that's a 
pretty populated area if it's not that far away from it's, Phoenix. Yeah, this is kind of a rural spot, mm-hmm. like on the way to bigger cities and stuff. But yeah, there's some people there, I guess. I mean, I think at the time, Travis Walton said it was like 3,500. Now it's around 5,000. Oh, sure. And they just got a McDonald's and a stop sign or a stoplight. Let's go. Honestly, so, good for them. So now they're pop. <laughs> McDonald's also out of this world. Honestly. <laughs> Not a sponsor. <laughs> hey, we had the uh, the Galaxy Playland in the the one McDonald's for us right. for a while. So that was pretty cool. That's actually how we all got started on our space obsession. <laughs> Big shout out the Golden Arches. So the man heading the project was named Mike Rogers, and he drove the crew out to the spot where they were going to be working on their logging contract in his 1965 international pickup, and they worked throughout the day clearing out dead trees to clear space for healthy trees to grow better. And it's kind of funny, because there's a movie based on this called Fire in the Sky. It's it's Travis Walton's abduction story. They've obviously taken liberties. It's a Hollywood movie. But... <laughs> It's so funny seeing seven guys squeezed into this pickup truck. I was going to say, you said seven guys. Probably not a single seat belt was worn. It's, all like two, <laughs> it's just two big bench seats for seating. So like four guys in the back, three guys in the front. Cars were so wild back then. Yeah. Like there were no safety. And huge. Yeah. The, massive. You were just driving around mini boats. Absolutely. With no safety features. So the crewmen aside from Mike Rogers consisted of Alan Dallas, John Gallette, Dwayne Smith, Kenneth Peterson, Steve Pierce, and the man of the hour, Travis Walton. And you don't have to remember all those names. There's going to be like two other guys that are going to be important. So I'll mention them as we go. The first of which is Alan Dallas. He was kind of the black sheep of the crew. He constantly got into fights with almost everyone on the team. And Travis said that on the morning of November 5th, Alan confronted Travis Walton's girlfriend and tried to get her to break up with Travis and go out with him. And when Travis found out, he and Alan got into a fight in the backyard, and Alan apparently tried to spin kick Travis. And as Travis puts it in all of his interviews, Alan, quote, fell on his can. (laughs) I mean, props to him for not uh, delving into the sense of using the word ass (laughs) (laughs) i don't think he swears in any of his interviews and it's so funny because joe gun's like what the fuck do these things look like (laughs) what like this is all crazy shit man yeah and then he's in his full suit too in the mustache yeah and he's being all prim and proper (laughs) it's so funny probably asking like for a glass of lemonade during the interview So out on the job, the tensions carried over because when Travis was cutting, he barely had time to dodge a falling tree that Alan had cut and almost dropped on top of him. Oh my God. So yeah, it's kind of tense between these two. Just a little bit. Really want to watch that movie now. I hope that's in it. It's an awesome movie. It's like the way they depict it for when it came out. If like if we would have seen it when it came out, I believe it came out in ninety three, it would have been like the scariest movie of the year for sure. So, really? Yeah. Scale of one to signs. It's probably on par. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Like for the time and like the special effects they had and stuff, like it's pretty pretty good. Well, that's your new homework for next week. Yeah, go watch this movie. But after the falling tree incident, the rest of the workday followed without any incident. The crew loaded up all their gear and began to head back down the mountain to go home at the end of the day. And as Travis states in the interviews, uh, after the workday, the guys were all pretty fired up. They were really chatty in the truck 
as I mentioned, three of them were in the front, four were in the back. So the guys in the back were all smoking and talking, and the guys in the front were just kind of hanging out. And as they drove, Travis noticed some sort of light coming through the trees up ahead. At first, he thought that maybe it was hunters in a tent with a lantern because it was deer hunting season, but he slowly began to realize that the light was coming from too high up to be campers. Then he pivoted to thinking that it might be a plane crash. And as they got closer, he noticed that he wasn't the only one who was seeing it anymore because everyone else in the truck was slowly going quiet one at a time. Ooh, that just an eerie, silent, you know you're going to something weird. Where you're like, talking to someone but you're not looking at them and then you realize that they're not responding and you look over and they're all staring out the window at something i always wonder what would happen if we ever came across something like this if we ever came across a ufo do you think we would be chatty or do you think it would just be like just silence looking at each other i feel like it depends if it's just you and me like if it's just you and me i feel like we'd be quiet but yeah. if we had some of our other friends with us like everyone would be yelling <laughs> could you Oh my gosh, I'm picturing Drew. Yeah, that's what I was picturing. Him and Austin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, the mod times. Oh, that's great. But uh, anyways, they kept driving down the road, and as they approached a clearing, they finally got a clear look at what the source of the light was. Apparently, when they saw what the craft was, Alan Dallas yelled, quote, My God, it's a flying saucer! seems a little too generic for me yeah it is a little generic this also comes from like a summarization from travis walton's book so it's probably written like that for like the purpose of being entertaining so what he actually said was gee welkers dudes that thing's weird looking (laughs) after seeing what it was mike shut off the truck and the guys all stared at it from inside the object was floating 20 feet or so off the ground and apparently it looked like a golden glowing disc. According to Travis, it made a noise like a very low hum, barely audible and kind of more of a, a bass feeling, where like, you know, when you go to a really bass-heavy concert, right. you can feel it rattle in you. In the chest, yeah. Yeah, he said it kind of was similar to something like that, not really something you could hear. I guess that makes sense, because if it's so, like if that's that much electricity, probably. For the humming noise, at yeah. least, for that buzzing noise, it would also rally your chest. And he said, like, he went to talk at an engineering school and stuff, and everyone there was really grilling him about, like, what did this sound like? Because if you can tell us, like, an exact sound, then we can kind of back engineer what the sound would be coming from and figure out what is this thing being propelled by, you know? But he said, it's nothing I've ever heard as a recreation ever really matched what it actually was so yeah i'd imagine it's hard to like say or replicate an alien hovercraft sound with just the human mouth it was like a it was was actually the sound from dune (laughs) (laughs) coupled with the low hum was a high-pitched cyclical noise so it's kind of like an overtone on top of that humming It emitted a soft yellow light and had clearly defined edges, and he estimated it was about 15 or 20 feet in diameter, and it had no hatches, ports, or windows that he could see. So it's really not that big. Nope. It's really not like what you consider your typical spaceship. Yeah, it's not an Imperial Star Cruiser. It's more of like a (laughs) a TIE fighter. It's more of a TIE (laughs) fighter. But like a disc. It's literally like the generic flying saucer 
image pretty much right except there's no windows or any it's not like a clear dome on top but mm-hmm. yeah there's no alien tourists saying with like i heart new york shirts yeah exactly <laughs> So Travis made the bold decision to open his door on the truck and get out. And since he was on the passenger side, he was already the closest to the craft. In interviews, he says that he thought that the craft would fly away whenever he approached it, and he didn't want to miss a chance to see what it was up closer, so he got out of the truck to see it. Back to our little conversation about us experiencing this. That's definitely, I think you would get out of the car. I probably would. <laughs> I would I would be in the driver's seat like, nope, nope, just, we're, we're you going. Would, and you wouldn't stop me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You'd be like, no. Yeah, I kind of want to see what happens. <laughs> okay, bye. Wait, let me turn the camera on. Where, where are lapel mic? <laughs> As the men in the truck pleaded with Travis to come back, he continued forward towards the UFO. When he got close, he started to hear that humming noise, and it began to get louder, and the ship began to spin faster. Travis then ducked behind a log that was in the clearing, but for this to happen, he had to get closer to the ship, because the log was closer to the ship. And when nothing happened after he got closer, he stood back up, and almost instantly, he was hit with a beam of blue-green light and was shot backwards. Travis said it felt like high-voltage electrocution, and then he blacked out. Mike Rogers, in his interview, said it looked like Travis stepped on a landmine or was on top of a hand grenade when he was sent flying. That's oh how violent gosh. it was. So, oh, wow. That's yeah. pretty, pretty insane. Like That's very bright light, and to have that much force, too, Yeah, to compare to a hand grenade. It's just a huge like concussive blast, yeah. Oh, the head had to be ringing after that one. Oh, he was out cold. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At that point, the other guys in the truck understandably freaked out and slammed the door, started the engine, and peeled out of the area. They just left him there. They were out. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, Trav. Mike said he drove like a madman down the hill, and this is like a dirt road with grooves cut into it for when the rain hits so that the road doesn't erode away completely. So he's just like hitting bumps, hitting rocks, hitting trees, <laughs> like up the mirror broke off when it hit a branch. And eventually he looked back and realized the craft wasn't following them. So then he slowed down to a normal speed so the truck wouldn't completely break down and they'd be stranded in the hills. <laughs> the radio is probably completely off too. Because <laughs> like whenever I'm driving, trying to look for a parking spot, I turn it off so I can see. <laughs> can't imagine this guy's literally like. 10 and 2, radio off, everyone just quiet in the car. <laughs> and then everyone screams like, yeah. go, get out of here. Yeah, we gotta peel out. Once he brought the truck to a stop, all of the men got out and tried to make sense of what happened and debated whether they had seen Travis get disintegrated or not. Because <laughs> some of them thought he was. That's such a wild conversation because like they most, I'm assuming they most likely actually had this conversation. It's a wild thing to just look at all your coworkers and be like, did we just see a guy disintegrate? Did he die? Like, is he 100% dead? Right, like, is is he done for? <laughs> did we just witness a murder? You guys want to go see a dead body? <laughs> dun dun. <laughs> Get the people at Law & Order SVU on exactly. at Pronto. While they were panicking, Mike noticed that the disc was moving through the trees. It raised vertically, and he said that it shot away at incredible speed and left the area. 
In later interviews, Travis stated that he doesn't blame the guys for running away because it was the understandable reaction to what had happened. To see, yeah, right. To seeing like evaporation of a human body. Yeah. So in the movie, they kind of show that Travis is like kind of upset that they left. But in real life, he's just like, I would have done the same thing. I don't blame you guys at all. <laughs> right. It's not a normal scenario to be in. Yeah. At that point, Mike hopped back in the truck and started it up again and told anyone who wanted to stay that they could stay where they were, but he was going to go back to the clearing to look for Travis. None of them argued, and all six of them hopped back in the truck and drove back to the clearing, figuring that it would be better to be together than to stand in the woods, in the dark, in hunting season, on their own. <laughs> right, not wearing orange. Yeah. So, Especially after just seeing your buddy get thrown 20 feet by an alien spaceship. Were the aliens actually just hunting, though? They, yeah, they were they going could very for deer. Much, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the Dick Cheney family guy skit where he shoots his friend. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I thought you were a deer. <laughs> just clearly a human. <laughs> they got back to the clearing, pointed the truck's headlights at the area where they saw Travis last, and could see no sign of him. So they all got out of the truck, huddled together, and searched the area with the singular flashlight that they had. They all shouted for Travis, but couldn't find any trace of him or the craft being there. And after their failed search attempts, they decided it would be better to head back into the nearest town of Haber. On the way down, Ken suggested that they would have to tell the police. Yeah, you can't just, you kind of have to tell someone about that. Yeah, there was a big debate between them because Mike Rogers, the guy driving, said, no one's going to believe this. They're just going to think we're crazy, mm-hmm. which is valid. <laughs> Majority of people I hear the story do. Yes, but apparently Ken was like the good boy, uh, like the, the shining example of a, a good boy in the group. So, Like the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. It's like, guys, that was collectively, that was pretty traumatic, but... We kind of have to tell the police. Yeah. And tell the police they did. After getting into town, they found a phone, and Ken himself called the authorities. Mike didn't want to notify them. He just wanted to keep looking for Travis. But eventually, a local deputy named Chuck Ellison came down and began to take their story. But he quickly realized that he might need backup for this one. Yeah, that's not a one-man job, I feel like, for a police officer. Well, you think about it from a lawman perspective, and you hear this group of six men loggers all freaking out saying our friend just got lost in the woods up there and we think he might be dead and then you're immediately thinking well you guys probably killed him then (laughs) right and his head he was already they were just all happened to be drenched in blood like hmm weird two other sheriffs showed up and took the story as well but it was clear that not all of them believed the story that the men were telling them especially chuck ellison the first guy that showed up and as I mentioned, it didn't take long for the suspicion to fall on the six loggers. And the question emerged Had they murdered Travis? Despite the fact that the men's stories all sounded similar, there's obviously going to have to be a more thorough investigation into this story. That's always the crazy part. Like, of all the alibis that the six loggers could come up with, yeah. why would they choose alien abduction? They could say he fell off a cliff. Like, he just fell off the clearing, or he got squashed by a tree, or, like, something like that. He was shot by a hunter. Right, it was hunting scene. Like, there's coyotes, probably. Yeah, Alan Dallas is like, a tree fell on him on accident, wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> All for his girlfriend. 
In the words of Mike Rogers, this began what would become the worst five days of his life. Oh, wow. The next few days, large search parties of 50 to 100 people went out to the area where Travis was last seen and combed the woods to try and find him. Through multiple days of searching, barely any evidence was found that Travis was in that area, aside from a heel print where the truck had stopped and some disturbed pine needles where it was believed Travis had landed after being thrown. Right, you would think that 100 people would be able to find some sort of sign of life, whether it's not to be improper, like urine or poop. (laughs) (laughs) Did he shit his pants when he got thrown? Or like actual like footprints. Yeah, right. Or just some sort of, even like a little fire, because I'm sure you would know like, how to start this, one. This was a part of this forested area that they had not gone through yet. It was just kind of Ooh. a natural clearing. It wasn't right. like a section that they had felled trees in. Ah. So it was still a lot of just foliage on the ground and stuff. So if you're stepping on a bunch of beds of pine needles and leaves and whatever, you're not necessarily going to see a bunch of footprints. So I guess I can get it from that perspective. It's mm-hmm. pretty much just like walking on grass. You're not going to see it after a whole day. Right, right. Between helicopters, dogs, and all of the people over a four-day span, nobody could find Travis. It was such a thorough search that they basically cleaned that entire section of the forest in the process. Oh, well, hey, two birds, one stone, I guess. Exactly. Mike Rogers in the interview on the Coast to Coast, because there's only one interview where he talks with Travis. Because mm. Travis is pretty much the only one that comes out and publicly talks about it. Right. But yeah, Mike said it, we would come back with just like handfuls of trash and throw it in the beds of the trucks and stuff. So we pretty much just cleaned the entire area of the forest we were in. <laughs> right. Mike also said that if Travis was out there, there's no way that they would have overlooked him with how thoroughly they searched for him. Mm. Did they say how many miles they actually covered? Oh, they did. I want to say it was like a 10 square mile area that they looked through. Yeah, so there's no way that this presumably injured man could make it past that without showing any, even like any blood, like any trace. After getting knocked unconscious and then... Also, yeah, being knocked unconscious. Trying to traverse your way through this forested area. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back in town, people were already beginning to suspect the other six men of dispatching Travis in the woods. So now it's not only the lawmen, but it's also the general populace of the town that believes that these guys have something to do with it. Travis had two brothers, and it was said that one of them believed the story that the loggers had told, while the other was quite upset with the story that they were telling and was insistent that foul play was involved. Yeah, if... (laughs) If one of my siblings just disappeared and the people that were with them said it was a UFO, there's not a chance I would believe them. <laughs> right. And it, it said the only reason that the uh, the one believed them is be- like he was hesitant at first, but apparently him and Travis had seen UFOs together uh-huh. on certain occasions. So he was more of a believer than the other brother was. And that's the reason why he was more open to the idea that, hey, maybe this this did actually happen. Travis is just the chosen one they keep on showing back up to. (laughs) Right, I guess so. I mean, that is a thing in alien abductions is they say if you see them in your childhood, like let's just say your childhood, then you're probably going to see them as you go through your life. Like once Mm -hmm. you see them once, it's more likely that you're going to see them again versus just a one-time thing. That's probably uh, the big argument there is probably do you, quote unquote see them more because you're looking for them more right as opposed to like the chosen ones that observation bias right 
Back in town, Alan Dallas was especially a main target of suspicion, considering his hot temper, as well as his recent run-ins with Travis. And Mike said in interviews that he had multiple run-ins with people about town, about Travis's disappearance, and the town held multiple meetings to discuss what had happened. So, people are definitely talking. And it's a small town, too, and if you've learned anything from past episodes of this show, that... When bad things happen in small towns, people usually end up getting more hurt. Yes. <laughs> Eventually, the six men were called down to the county seat and met with a man named Cy Gilson, a polygraph examiner from Phoenix. His job was to get the story out of the men and ascertain whether the story he got was truthful or not. According to Mike Rogers, Gilson was an intimidating and stern guy, and a lot of the loggers weren't sure if they could trust him because they thought that he may have been brought in by the government to help frame them. Ah. So they're thinking there's a conspiracy against them at this point. That's kind of crazy that the story doesn't end with this being like, or like when you think of the story, you don't think government conspiracy cover up because Travis Walton's very much like out in the public and right. talking about this, considering the fact he went on the biggest podcast in the world, just by numbers, we're the best podcast in the world. Yeah, not the biggest, the best. Though. The best yeah. <laughs> distinction, right? We actually have a very selective audience. Um, Travis, we, if you want to come on our show, though, literally and literally. Like. <laughs> but the men eventually went in one by one and took the polygraph tests. It was Mike said that each test took about two hours, and. Mike said that during his test, Cy Gilson would tap him on the arms and ask questions as he asked questions to try and needle him for the truth, kind of like nudging him, saying like, are you sure this is what you saw? Did you see this? Did you kill Travis? Are you gay? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever used drugs and alcohol to make yourself feel better in the presence of the Baptist church? <laughs> Seven men up in the forest, huh? Must get lonely out there. Hmm, did it happen to be... <laughs> This this also inspired the movie Brokeback Mountain. Wow. <laughs> and then at the end, he ends with the question, do you want to go out to dinner with me later? <laughs> do you know? I'll know if you're lying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just had a terrible joke, but that's one that I would get. Never mind. Off air, off air. <laughs> We're getting canceled today. <laughs> Alan Dallas was obviously the most apprehensive one in the group to take the test. He was the one who is under the most scrutiny for Travis's disappearance, considering their disagreement, and the fact that his mom was telling him that they're going to frame him for the murder if he goes in there and tells them anything, so. Yeah, no matter what age you are, whenever your mom tells you something, you always take it a little bit more impactful, yeah, I would say. a little more serious at that yeah. point. Alan got through most of his polygraph exam, but eventually got aggravated with the questions he was being asked by the examiner and took off the equipment and stormed out of the room. Can you do that? Like, is it, it's voluntary. Yeah, I mean, he did. Huh. I don't think anyone was going to stop him. Right. Definitely not Cy Gilson. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think a man with that name is going to be very intimidating, but I guess they said he was intimidating, so I don't know. Interesting that his name was Cy. Like, was Eeyore taken? I guess so. Like, he's just always kind of bummed. Cy. Uh, can you just, like, put on the wires? Uh, I think you're telling me lies. According to later recountings, it seemed like Dallas was being asked if he had any ill will towards Travis, and that was kind of a, a targeted question at him, because while he didn't actively want Travis dead, he would be lying if he said no, and would put himself into the secure number one suspect role if he said yes. 
Right, yeah. So and he'd be the only one that have any like different markings on that test because the other gentleman like passed it. Right. And that's yeah, a rock and a hard place. It's the perfect right. question to ask him from a polygraph examiner standpoint. But yeah, it is a very unfair question if you're looking at it from Alan Dallas. Yeah. Despite Alan Dallas leaving, all of the other man passed the polygraph tests and only Dallas's was inconclusive. It didn't say he failed. It just said that the answers he had given were not enough to really tell one way or another. So. Right. For the entirety of the five days that Travis was gone, the six men stuck to their stories and repeated that Travis had been knocked over by the UFO and then vanished by the time that they had returned to the scene. Amidst all of the chaos back home, one of Travis's family members got a phone call on Monday, November 10th. And upon answering the late night wake up call, Travis's voice came through from the other side of the receiver. Which uh, family member did he actually call? Do you know? <laughs> his sister's husband. Well, he tried calling his sister, oh. but his, his, the husband answered the phone because it was like midnight. So. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Now we get back to where Travis was at this whole time. According to Travis, upon returning home, he woke up on the pavement just outside of Haber with his clothes still warm, despite the pavement being cold. He looked up and noticed a bigger saucer than the one he had originally seen floating nearby, which flew away soon after. At this point, he got up and ran down the highway and eventually found a gas station with a payphone and called his sister, and as I mentioned, his brother-in-law Grant answered just after midnight. It's nice that the... Do you think that the aliens left him some cash? <laughs> like some <laughs> Here's some money. money for the payphone. <laughs> yeah, we just probed you. Here's some, here's some cash toots. Get out of here. <laughs> just the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Grant, after initially answering the call, thought that it may be a prank because, I mean, the entire town knows about this story. But he went to talk to Travis's actual brother, Dwayne. They were both skeptical initially, but they both decided that they couldn't risk not going in case it actually was Travis. So they drove the 30-plus miles to Haber from Snowflake and found Travis hunched over inside of the phone booth that he used to call them. That's insane. So 30 miles away from where he disappeared? Yeah. And five, five days, days later. That is a hike. Yeah. Like, you have to be at a pretty decent pace to actually make it. And no one sees you that entire time. And no food or water, too. Yeah. When they found him, Travis was still freaking out, talking about the aliens that he had seen. Travis thought that he must have been gone for a couple hours, since it was now dark outside, and it was midnight. But he soon realized that it wasn't the same day that he had gone missing. It had been five days. So that's interesting, that Travis, from his perspective, he just thought he was gone for a few hours. He thought he took a little nappy nap. Travis's family drove to Haber and picked up Travis and headed immediately to the hospital. After an exam, it was found that Travis was dehydrated, had lost 12 pounds, and had a puncture mark on his arm. He also had grown five days' worth of a beard. <laughs> you look right. Like, right, yeah, he... I know, but that just proves that he was actually gone for five oh, days. Oh! <laughs> see, see, that was one of those disconnect moments Yeah, where I was like, yes. I was, wa he... I was waiting for you to, like, have that aha. Aha! Moment. No, it just, it just shows that he was actually gone and not, like, faking. This is why we need to just straight up record, just so everyone can get, like, a look on my face. <laughs> because I literally did, like, a dog side, like, head tilt. Because a lot of people say, well... 
how do you know that where the where they took you didn't have different like dilation of time than on mm. earth and he's like well i know i was gone for five days because i had five days worth of a beard right so yeah that just shows like time passed normally wherever he was in addition no drugs were found in his system that's probably the biggest one yeah according to reports it it's pretty much impossible that he was hiding and wandering in the forest considering temperatures at the time had dropped to as low as eight degrees Fahrenheit overnight. Right. So he most likely would have gotten some sort of probably hypothermia. Yeah. Because he probably wasn't dressed for that. But the most shocking thing about Travis returning was the story that he brought with him. After the beam hit Travis, he said he doesn't remember too much because he blacked out. And the next thing that he recalls is waking up in intense pain. He was lying on his back on a table of some kind, with a light fixture hung above him, set into a triangular ceiling. His shirt and his jacket were pulled up with some strange device curved across his body. His vision was blurry at first, but as it cleared, he realized that the humanoid beings that he thought were doctors were anything but. In fact, they weren't even humans. Sporting orange-colored jumpsuits with no seams or buttons, three alien beings stood around the table. They had large, brown eyes, stood a little less than five feet tall, and had white, marshmallowy skin. Their hands had no fingernails, and their oversized heads had no hair. They had thin-lipped mouths, tiny ears, and little miniature noses. Aww. So this literally creates that... I guess stereotypical image of an alien that yeah. you think of. You think of what you just described. It's the, the typical gray aliens, yeah. Right. But he said that the one difference between these guys and the typical gray alien is that when you see the typical gray alien, their eyes are completely black. Hmm. And he said these guys did have like irises and whites of their eyes and stuff. Like they weren't completely black. He thinks that the all black stuff that, that people see when they see the aliens is them wearing sunglasses. he's like come on trav he's like maybe it's a protective shield for their eyes against the atmosphere i'm like ah well i mean that's the worst thing that's i mean the eyes are as we recently found out with covid is how germs germs can get through your eyes just very funny to imagine aliens wearing sunglasses (laughs) yeah (laughs) they literally have to wear those joke like huge sunglasses that you get from like (laughs) spencer's or something you got me the shutter shades these don't work (laughs) (laughs) Upon realizing that the creatures were far from human, Travis began to swing his arms with all the strength that he could muster. Eventually, he hit one of the creatures, and he found that it was much lighter than he expected, and the creature fell backwards easily. Travis then got up off the table and pushed his back up against the wall and away from the beings. He was still extremely weak, so he found a tube on the ground and attempted to break it on the table. It was kind of like a a fluorescent glass light bulb Mm. and attempted to break it on the table so he could have a weapon to stab with. But to his dismay, it wouldn't break no matter how hard he tried. The whole time Travis was screaming questions at the beings, but they said nothing. That's eerie. They're just staring. There's no communication. Yeah. It'd be comparatively if like, like a deer try to like communicate with us literally deer in the headlights yeah but aliens yeah. <laughs> i'm imagining them like flailing their arms and looking at each other like fast moving oh. feet they're just like <laughs> why are they penguins what do we do 
would. <laughs> Just as he was struggling to stay standing, the aliens turned and left the room. No incident. Wow, they really... All right. They literally took a, like a passive disciplinary action to when... <laughs> So when like a child's acting, I'm just don't give them any attention. Yeah, they did like the uh, salute emoji and then just left. <laughs> Later, if you're going to have this crazy energy, we're not going to deal with you. The adrenaline in his system allowed Travis to stagger to the door and begin down the hallway. He saw that the creatures had left the room and went right, so he proceeded to go left. He ran down the hallway about 10 feet when he noticed an open doorway. He said he went inside the room, noticing that there's only a singular chair in the room. As he approached the chair, all of the lights in the room started to dim themselves, and as he got to the chair, he noticed there was nobody inside of it. He also realized that the chair had a control panel of sorts on the arm of the chair. He made the decision to sit down and attempt to press some of the buttons. Beep boop 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 beep boop. Don't press the red button. <laughs> So the way this chair was set up, the way the room was set up from what I can envision from the way he describes it, is as you walk in, the lights dim as you get near to the chair, and then once you sit in the chair, there is a giant, kind of like a, an IMAX theater screen mm-hmm. sort of, of image is mm-hmm. what I see, and it's all stars. Like you can, It's like a star map, almost. Interesting. Okay. So that's what he sees when he sits down in this chair. Right. As he hit different buttons on the chair, the stars started to shift positions. At this point, he realized, I don't know if I'm controlling where the ship's going, so I could very well crash us into something if I do the wrong if I hit the wrong button. Yeah. So he got out of the chair. Yeah, he's just flying through Jupiter. Like, how did we get here? <laughs> so he's he's not gonna be the one that's gonna take this thing out of the sky. <laughs> After getting out of the chair, he searched the room for a way out. But as he was searching, he noticed someone standing in the doorway. He said it looked exactly like another human being. Oh. The man, as he described him, was about six foot two, with very light brown hair, weighing about 200 pounds. He was very muscular and wore a tight-fitting bodysuit with black boots and a clear helmet. What? (laughs) Why the clear helmet? (laughs) He's not like a fishbowl one. (laughs) All right, the bodyguard. He's the uh, sandy cheeks of the equation on this one. Yeah, he's the muscle. (laughs) Travis ran up to the man thinking it was another abducted human being and began to ask him all sorts of questions. But this man also didn't answer at all, but rather grabbed Travis by the arm and began to pull him down the hallway. They approached a door and exited the craft into a sort of airlock room. The room had what appeared to be natural light coming through panels on the walls, but Travis couldn't make out whether it was actually sunlight or if these were just artificial lights that looked like windows. But regardless, Travis said they appeared to be in some sort of hangar with other craft similar to the one that he saw in the clearing. Interesting. So the actual mothership. Yeah, he said he didn't know if it was like a bigger ship that they were in or if it was some sort of building that they were in, Mm -hmm. but he said whatever it was... He saw more of the same ships, so very interesting. Travis attempted to examine the room to get a better image of where he was, but he didn't have much time because the other man took Travis across the room to another doorway, which opened to a wide hallway. At the end of the hallway, they entered another room with a table and a chair in it. Also in the room, 
were two other human-looking beings standing around the table wearing the same suits as the man, except without helmets on. Both of the men were said to be very handsome, and the woman was, according to a quote from Travis's book, the epitome of her gender. Oh, so she a baddie. Yeah, or the, the ep- epitome. Oh. Uh, ep- epitome, epitome. Epitome. She was, I, <laughs> she was good. This is the first time. She was I, a good looking. Yeah. There we go. Okay. I looked at that word and I'm like, I don't think that's how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> I got there. We're not English professors, so. Travis attempted to ask these two more questions, but the beings just calmly led him to the table and sat him down. Then, the woman pulled out what appeared to be an oxygen mask and attached it to Travis's face, and he blacked out. So he didn't try to fight at all at this point? Oh, he did. Okay. But these two guys are like big. Big, yeah. yeah like big muscular, yeah. Wide receiver size. Like right. NFL wide receivers. Right, right. When Travis awoke, he was back on the pavement. After getting cleaned up and returning back to his house... Travis was immediately surrounded by press members who wanted to get the scoop on his story. He said he could barely leave the hospital without being mobbed. That has to be one of the worst parts, too, because the, the press is going to get their story and they're going to write it how they want. Oh, yeah. Not much privacy anymore. No. According to Travis, quote, When I was returned on November 10th, I was in a serious emotional state. At that time, and for weeks afterwards, I didn't want to tell anyone about my experience except those close to me. I avoided the public and the media for several days. During my silence, a lot of misinformation was printed. End quote. So they're already starting rumors. They're already, yeah, taking a lot of, I guess, creative... What what, what phrase am I thinking? Creative, creative licenses. License. Yeah, thank you. Travis eventually underwent a polygraph test of his own, as well as a few of the others retaking theirs, and eventually all of the men passed with flying colors. That's a really impressive... Like, that's seven people saying the same story, and Travis was, like, not in contact with them, whether it was through aliens or other, for five entire days, so... The fact that they all kind of nailed their stories I mean, to polygraph tests. These polygraph tests were later on. It wasn't immediately after he got back. So oh, there was more time sure. in between. I, I believe it was like five years later. So it was just like, we got to see like if you're still sticking to your guns here. Right, right, right. And it is fair to say that polygraph tests don't automatically mean that they're telling the truth. It just means yeah. that they believe the story they're telling. So... So it could just be someone completely delusional as well. Yes. In the years following the event, Travis became more open with talking about his experiences. And in 1993, as I mentioned, it was even made into a major motion picture called Fire in the Sky. Yeah, I'm looking at images of this movie, of the abduction scene. This is daunting. Like, this is... It's sweet. This is gruesome. It's awesome. I love it. This is going to give me nightmares. I'm not even going to watch the movie. <laughs> like the, uh, the scene oh. where he wakes up inside the craft is pretty, pretty good. Pretty well done. I mean, it's way more overdone than it actually was. But sure, I mean, yeah. the story, if they would have done it the way that it was actually happened to him, according to Travis, it still would have been as terrifying. Yeah. But yeah, they, they kind of go like very Hollywood horror with it. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is freaking <laughs> me out. I need to get off. I need to, I need to stop looking at these. <laughs> Shortly after the movie release... 
Travis was featured on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, along with Mike Rogers, to talk about the experiences. And according to Mike and Travis on the show, the sheriff had reports on file that listed other people in the area who had sightings as well on that same night, such as fishermen and hunters. And they also described the same glowing light and the craft flying off. Interesting. So there's actually more witnesses other than the seven that are actually involved in the case, like this particular case. Yes, but it also I don't know when those reports were filed. Mm. So it could have been like a couple days after and they heard the story and they were like, yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, I got something I to say. I want to be involved here too. Right. Travis had begun writing his book on the encounter in February of the year after he was abducted, eventually publishing his story in The Walton Experience in 1978. He believes that the alien beings were not intending to harm him in any way, but rather the opposite. Upon realizing he was injured by their beam, Travis believes they scooped him up to help repair any damage and then return him to Earth. Huh. So he does honestly think it was like a deer-in-the-headlights accident that happened, and he just either got too close to the craft and the beam went off on its own, or mm-hmm. like they were doing some sort of soil testing or something, and the beam was intended for that, and he just got too close. That's interesting, because whenever you think about these situations, it's always with harmful intent to the human being. But this, yeah, theoretically, this could be just completely innocent accident. Right, especially for how apparently traumatizing this experience was up, like, <laughs> right. immediately upon happening. Yeah. You would think that he'd be like, oh, no, they're, they're here to get me. But no, he, he's just like, no, nah, I think they're fine. I think they just, it was my mistake that I got out of the truck and got closer. So it's not yeah. like I did, it's not like they did anything necessarily wrong. Yeah, to the aliens, it's like adopting like a dog that you see on the side of the road and raising yeah. it to health <laughs> yeah, and right. then <laughs> bring it... Years after the event in 2014, an investigation into the area of the encounter was led by former FBI investigator and host of the show Factor Faked Paranormal Files, Ben Hansen. What an insane career transition. (laughs) Right? (laughs) When looking at the trees in the area of the clearing, they showed strange alterations to the ring patterns. According to Ben Hansen, quote, Not only was there an extreme growth rate to some of these trees around the clearing, but it seems that there is also a directionality to them, end quote. And this is important because all of the abnormal growth on the trees was facing into the area where the, traf- where the craft was supposedly located. Interesting. I guess that makes sense if, it's, if this craft has such an effect on the energy around the area. And like we talked about before, that the way these ships move might be different than like what we can comprehend right where they use different means not like fossil fuels to like make fire and make us go right exactly well and this is it kind of echoes the rendlesham incident except in the opposite way where the trees there had radiation on the sides of the the inside of the trees where these do apparently too but instead of like doing harm to the trees it actually make them grow better so oh good radiation (laughs) yeah the nice kind (laughs) yeah in addition the person sitting next to Travis in the car, Ken Peterson, was the next closest to the craft when Travis got out since he had left the door open. So if you're imagining an overhead view, there's the three guys in the front, Travis was on the right on the passenger side, then Ken was in the middle on the, of the three. And so Travis left the door open when he got out, so he was 
closest theoretically to the craft because everyone else had their, their doors closed. So this is important because it was found that years later, Ken developed skin cancer on his right arm, the one that was closest to the open door. Oh, okay. So not saying that it's because of this, but it's interesting. Right. I guess it is interesting. I mean, just, I mean, Travis is in perfect health. Yeah, right? he, they fixed him up. They so. fixed them up, yeah. <laughs> they got rid of all that bad stuff. They made sure to take away the possible skin he, cancer that he, he could get. He actually said, like, he's been in better health since he got abducted. Like, he hasn't missed a day of work for being sick since he got abducted. Like, Okay, so they really gave him the full tune-up. I guess, so. like, he still looks good for yeah. being almost 70, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, still rocking that mustache, still looking... I would honestly picture him as like 50s. Yeah, I know. And he's, I'm pretty sure he's like 70, so almost. So, yeah, he's, for him. he's an old guy. But despite all this, skeptics state that Walton's experiences can be explained away as a drug induced fantasy, even though there were no drugs found in his system upon his return. Sure, I guess like five days would be enough for drugs to wear off, but Dep- not enough for, I mean, he would have to be on something if he just doesn't remember anything right. else happening. It, depending on the drug, obviously, might get out of your system by then. But also, if you're just on a drug bender in the woods, and you somehow keep yourself alive the whole time. Well, Aaron Rodgers did it. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> According to an article by Skeptic.com, another reason for a hoax was suggested. They pointed to the fact that Travis and his coworkers were about to miss their deadline on the logging contract they were working on with only a, quote, act of God being able to nullify the contract upon failure of completion. This, coupled with the fact that Travis and his brother Dwayne had talked about UFOs for years and the fact that NBC aired a movie about Betty and Barney Hill's abduction case two weeks before Travis's, make the timing of the events suspicious. Mm, yeah, because UFOs were hot in the streets in the 70s and 80s. Right, and Betty and Barney Hill's story we'll probably do in the future, but that's like the premier abduction case in the United States, at least. So it's the, f- the first and one of the most compelling. <laughs> Interesting, okay. So it's it's kind of bad timing for all of this to happen, I guess you could say. But also, like, if they're... Al- there's alien movies out, then they're probably going to be aired more frequently than like just that one time. Right. So it's not like he couldn't have seen it another time either. But right. Despite Travis passing his polygraph test, it was said that he dictated what questions could be asked to him before the test began. The author of the article believes that Travis had convinced himself of his story enough that he believes it to be the truth and then can pass the polygraph tests even if he wasn't really abducted. It's true when people are delusional enough, they can believe whatever their mind kind of puts in there. Right. In addition, no real physical evidence has ever really been presented to support his story. The main skeptic in the story of Travis Walton seems to be a man named Philip Klass, who is seemingly disliked by almost everybody in the UFO community. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) He's, He's since passed away, but like... Yeah, almost everyone in the UFO community is like, this guy is the worst. <laughs> oh my, all right. <laughs> George Knapp, a prominent figure of ufology and part-time host of Coast to Coast to AM, interviewed Class in the late 80s and believed that he was a disinformation agent who was tasked with throwing skepticism onto any and all UFO stories that propped up. In a quote about the interview, George Knapp said, quote, 
Class took it upon himself to come to Las Vegas to try and stomp out the public's increasing interest in the UFO mystery. I always wondered whether he did this entirely on his own or whether he was working for someone else. End quote. So, like, he was just this Philip Class man was literally like, who was he that he. He <laughs> like was was he a radio host or no? He was just kind of a figure. He was in, just kind of a guy. This, he was like <laughs> I believe he was some sort of science background, mm. and so he took it upon himself to be the the guy that's going to go against all of the alien stories. I the guess. Debbie Downer. Yeah. So he was. Everyone just kind of looked at him and said that he was uh, unneedingly harsh on some people and just kind oh. of said that things didn't happen to try and dissuade the public from believing like oh maybe there is something to this right like a little too aggressive about it yeah so that's why people think like maybe he was hired by someone to make sure that no none of these stories propagated so i mean that would make sense probably good money and disinformation yeah if you're working for the government and they're gonna pay you (laughs) so despite what the skeptics say travis remains steadfast in his story he has appeared since the 1994 interview, as I mentioned, on Joe Rogan and again with Art Bell. And his story has always re- remained pretty much the exact same. Now he's added some details since because there's been more investigations, such as the one that Ben Hansen did. But he is still regarded as one of the most believable abductees following Betty and Barney Hill. And in our current timeline, where military and government officials are going on the record to tell their stories about strange encounters with things in the sky, who's to say that Travis isn't telling the truth about his experience? So, it's your choice at the end of the day to believe Travis or to doubt Travis. But no matter what you side, which side you fall on, gotta admit, pretty good story. That is a very good story. Yeah, so... And the, fa- the fact that he has so much... Like, he does supposedly remember so much of it. Like, going down hallways, turning into a room, meeting several human-like beings. Not only just, like, the aliens, but also, like, people that actually look like humans. Right. It's very interesting, very sci-fi. Well, and that's another reason why he thinks that he... he well, initially, he thought he was only gone for a few hours, because that's mm-hmm. the only time that he remembers. Because he... Well, he doesn't even know, like, how long he was actually awake. But upon, like, waking up on the table finding that guy in that room with the chair and then meeting those other two he believed it was probably like an hour and a half oh wow! so he's like i don't even know how long i was up there like when did they get me to that room what were they doing to me in that room when i was unconscious so Ooh. he he's like anytime they ask him what happened he's like i don't remember most of it so does he describe the device that they had on him initially not really. It just kind of said it was like something that kind of followed his body line and then like went across his chest. Oh. So I don't know what it was, but hmm. it was some sort of contraption. In the movie, it's very much more terrifying than what he described. Yeah. But they also, in the movie, he re- returns back to Earth naked. <laughs> so, oh, and, yep. and so in every interview, they're like, so you didn't come back naked, huh? And he's like, no, I was wearing clothes. Nope, fully clothed. They're like, shoot. <laughs> that's, why is that everyone's first question? <laughs> <laughs> they really wanted me to be naked. I they guess. really wanted me to show dong. So what do you think, Evan? Uh, you know what? It is always Initial tough. thought. Initial thought, no. Because, like, n- no to him getting abducted, I guess. I do think there, like, something happened, but the thought 
that a if this really did happen, I assume there would be a government like we never would have heard this story because the government would have covered it up. And True. the fact that it was such a prominent story as soon as it happened, and then is still to this day a very prominent story in ufology. I just never believe the most like. I guess popular stories so when it comes you, to this. You'd believe the more like outlandish one that just like some crazy guy in the woods tells. Well, more so like the Rendlesham. Rendl- oh yeah, Rendlesham. Like I think that's a more believable story to me because he doesn't get like picked up and he's not gone for however many days. And I guess there's, I guess a little more credence to that story in my opinion. I I mean Rendlesham's like my favorite. Oh, UFO sure. story, so I, I'm kind of biased to agreeing with you on that. Right. I just think it's a little bit more more believable. And like they found actual radiation at the site, which I think also gives more credence to like Rendlesham. I, ah, man. I guess there is a sliver of belief in, in me that yeah. maybe Travis Walton did get actually abducted. But I guess it just sounds a little bit too sci fi to yeah, me. Like it, it hits too many of the stereotypical boxes for it does me. but you also have to think like this is before like he told this story before a lot of those tropes before. really <laughs> right. generated so right i mean it, it gives it a little more credibility that it's like it's 1975 you mm-hmm. have the betty and barney hill story but that's kind of like the biggest thing so i you kind of have to wonder did he really just base this entire thing off of that or was he just like making up stories in his head his whole life which very well could be yeah yeah that's true i just give him credit for sticking to the exact same story for decades 40 40 <laughs> years yeah yeah four decades 47 years so i think that it, there's something to be said about that like if it was mm-hmm. a hoax like just give it up already yeah why would you go on for almost 50 years and go on all these radio shows and stuff i mean you're you'll make a little money doing that but mm-hmm. is it really worth being like the weird abductee guy yeah. for the whole, your whole life so well i mean does is there any actual money in like he probably gets paid for a story when it comes on I mean, yeah i mean he made money on the book that he wrote and then he obviously made money for the movie for selling his story but i mean that doesn't last forever, so you're going to have to eventually do other things. Yeah, you got to drum up. Oh, I guess if he goes and speaks to schools and engineers. I just can't imagine, like, I guess that's almost a point in his favor then that this did happen. Because why make this up, have your life completely derailed by yeah, this? Yeah, right. You can't really work anywhere. Yeah. Other than, like, in this vein, this yeah. channel. So, like, the risk-reward factor doesn't really make sense to do this. I, I, uh, see, I've always wanted to say, like, I think he actually is telling the truth in one mm-hmm. way or another. I don't know if it's exactly what happened or if he filled in some of the, bl- if his mind just filled in some of the blanks. Right. Like, yeah. e- even if something, he did see something in the forest and he was hit with a beam and, but I just don't know where he would have gone. For those five days, right? If he, that did happen, like thirty, he was found thirty miles away. Yeah, like that is. And I mean, all six guys had the same story about what happened. And like the night of, they would have had to come up with that in the truck on the way to town, and waiting for the sheriff. They would have had an hour, <laughs> right. maybe, right, to come up with a solid story, and all the details would have to match. So that I think is interesting. That it initially the stories all matched up and everything, 
So I don't know what would have happened to make them come up with that story other than what it, they said happened. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. That it's weird. It definitely is one of them, like one of the most believable ones. I think. Yeah, I just think that everything surrounding it, not just Travis himself, but like the other guys, how the town reacted, mm-hmm. all of the polygraph tests being brought in, like in that five days, how seriously they took it and stuff. It's interesting. It, it, I feel like it, yeah. If it if they wanted to cover it up, I just feel like it got out of hand too quickly for them to even be able to cover it up. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That makes so, sense. I don't know. And, and also, hmm. like, they could have. They were probably banking on Travis just not coming back. Like, oh, if, right. if he doesn't come back, there's really no story. If he doesn't come back, do you think that they all actually get charged for murder? Like someone's, an actual court someone's got to get charged for something. I would think, but yeah. th- there's no evidence though. Yeah, that's true. So what are they going to charge him with, really? That is crazy. Like, even... Of course, it was a search party for after the actual disappearance, but no one found any evidence. Right, exactly. Like, foul play. They didn't have weapons on them, either. So, I mean, your reputation's going to be tarnished in town, for sure. Right. Like, you're always going to be the six guys that maybe killed your friend in the woods. But (laughs) no one's found anything to say that you are, so... Who's to say? It's just a very, it's a bizarre case from more than one side. It's not just like the alien story that it's weird from. It's weird from every. Both. St- yeah. So yeah. that's why I think I give it more on the believability side than the skeptic side. But I get that. Yeah. Who knows? I guess Travis knows. Travis knows. He does know. And Art Bell believed him for sure. So if that's anything. Oh, I'm sure if Travis was here telling us the story, I'd be like, you poor soul. I will make you a (laughs) cup of tea right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Just innocent old man. Yeah. But everyone at home, let us know what you guys think. We want to hear if you guys think he was actually abducted or if you guys think he's full of crap. You know, I mean, both sides are warranted, really, Mm -hmm. with no... Like I said, there's no evidence physically to prove either way. So it's pretty much, do you believe this man, this 70-year-old man that went on Joe Rogan or not? Another Gems of History uh, episode where we give you a story that there's no definitive answer. Hey, we came up with this podcast idea to tell stories. <laughs> it's not like we had to give answers. Yeah, we're storytellers, not answer givers. We are. We are exploring the most fascinating folklore in history, you know? Yes. So, I mean, this is a ba- this is one of the most major parts of the UFO stigma. I I don't know what you want to call it. I think it's also a huge part of just that region's culture or I guess history if you will. Like yeah. Over the last 50, 70 years. Just yeah. the uh like Arizona, Nevada, Utah even a little bit, like yeah. New Mexico. That that's just a huge part of like those four states like <laughs> right like got, it always happens there yeah you got roswell you have this story you have the skinwalker ranch in utah yes you've yeah. got uh the the phoenix lights in arizona as well which is right. another huge sighting so yeah this area does have a lot going Aliens on just love sand <laughs> they just love those natural landmarks those plateaus man they love lizards and snakes <laughs> i guess so <laughs> But yeah, uh, you can let us know on our social medias what you guys think. Evan, you want to tell them where they can find those? You can find us on Twitter at gems underscore history. You can find Jacob at Jacob from Wisco and then myself at whatevskis. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. (laughs) 
uh, all at Gems of History Podcast. I was meaning to say it at the beginning that this is the last week for you guys to be able to submit your stories if you want to send one in yeah. for the, the listener story episode because that we will be recording that the week this comes out. So if you got anything you want to say and you listen to this when it comes out, then you got limited time, buddy. <laughs> yes, please submit those. Those are truly like that. Those are our favorite. My, personally, some of my favorite episodes. Yeah, definitely. We've gotten some pretty cool ones this year, so I'm excited to to read through those. But yeah, if Let's we go. if we can get a few more, just give us more content because <laughs> we want content. Please give us the content. <laughs> but we we do genuinely love hearing your guys' stories. They're some of our favorite things to read. So you know, listener interaction, listener engagement, we love it. Absolutely. But that is all we got for this week. We got one more episode left in the spooky season, and it's going to come out on Halloween. So. Oh my gosh, it's already late October. I know, it's crazy. I'm not ready for that. And then Thanksgiving's like right around the corner, and then Christmas, and then the year's over. Pack it up. We're, <laughs> We're done. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> all right, guys. Everyone have a great week this week. Have safe and fun Halloween parties if you're partying this upcoming weekend. So, Yes, d- Uber or make designate a designated driver and send us pictures of your costumes if anyone dresses up as us i don't even know what we'll do i would not recommend dressing up as us but if you do how would they power to you i guess we're also a podcast (laughs) yeah well i mean our our logo is us so that is that is true so should we dress up as us just dress in our suit and tie our shirt and ties (laughs) yeah we are the gems of history podcast hosts All right, guys, everyone have a safe and happy Halloween, and we love you all. Stay polished.